right, welcome back to Talking Dog. Today's show, we are going to deal with etiquette, uh, what it means to have manners, uh, the etiquette that we follow, that we want other people to follow, uh, all sorts of things about etiquette. And uh, I am joined today by an old friend, Stephen Younger. And say hello, Stephen. Hey, everybody. Uh, and he has just entered the d- world of dogdom, uh, what, like three or four years ago, something around there? Three years ago as a, as a card-carrying dog owner, yep. And the great thing about Stephen that I've always loved is that he's got an opinion on just about everything and not afraid to <laughs> express that opinion, which, is, which makes for a great host and for a great show. So welcome, Stephen. I'm so glad you're here. Senator, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so etiquette, I just thought I'd read the definition of what etiquette is, and this one I got off of uh, Google. It's the customary code of polite behavior in society or among members of a particular profession or group. You know, that's pretty straightforward in what it means. You know, we always think about, you know, when I think about etiquette, I think, Think about what my grandmother used to tell me about etiquette, like food manners, greeting people, all these social things. And then as I got into dog, the world of dogdom, it became a whole nother thing. Just these written and unwritten rules that we have to follow in order to get along with other people. Or and, that we make up for ourselves to... Uh... Right, to, to well, help us help ourselves feel better about our dog's behavior. Yeah, and the ones who we make up that drive us crazy about other people not <laughs> following our rules of etiquette, what our rules are. Let's just dive in. I mean, what you know, what do you see as a big rule of etiquette? And you know, what are your pet? I don't know. What you know, this show might turn into a pet peeve about what the hell people, you know, other dog owners and people drive us crazy. Just a big gripe fest. We're just going to dunk on <laughs> yeah, everyone well, we run into. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> having you here to support my my pet peeves and my to be able to really express my opinion with your support, it, it, it will, I'm sure, be a lively show. But, you know, we were talking, we've talked about this before, and we didn't get too far into it because I really wanted to save most of it for the show. So, you know, let's. What's what's one of your things that you see? As- well, should I start with an anecdote? How about an anecdote? Yeah, just let's to do start that. us off. That sounds good. Uh, so I um I was at the park the other day. I live in Southern Marin. I uh, I often say to my dog trainer friends that that Mill Valley is a master class in bad dog ownership. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that, I don't mean to impugn all of the dog owners in Mill Valley. Nothing could be further from what my intention is. But I think that there's no shortage of. Uh, there are no shortage of examples of, of really bad dog management and dog ownership in Mill Valley. And many, many people talk about it. I think it's a frequent conversation among people who've had incidents, either dog on human incidents or dog on dog problems. And uh, it just comes up all the time. So the other day I was at the park. I was actually, uh, I had met a friend who had a new puppy and we were working with her puppy a little bit and her puppy's a working line dog that that is uh, definitely drivey and I have a very drivey dog myself uh, and anyone who has a really drivey dog or a working dog knows that management is a huge part of dog ownership um, and it's it's much more difficult than managing a couch potato golden retriever um, that's not a field bred dog. Yep. And we had a, some sort of large, dopey, overly exuberant, uh, I'm talking about the dog, not the owner. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Uh, doodle of some kind, probably a golden doodle, came running up on this little puppy and just really blew this puppy up. And the, the puppy got very reactive and it was, was on leash. The doodle was off leash. The puppy reacted very, uh, very enthusiastically and probably a little aggressively. It may have been a little young to call it aggression, but, but uh, we mentioned to the owner who eventually and only marginally successfully called his dog back as he walked by us to set up for a game of go get the chuck it. We said, please don't let your dog run up on us again like that. And he got really angry. And, um, and we reminded him that he was at a, public park and there was a sign on the fence that said all dogs have to be on leash and oh. his response was well that that law is never enforced anyway yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> laws don't appeal to apply to me because i'm right, special exactly uh so and and you know just just politely asking not to let your dog run up on our dog uninvited well you know it caused a huge problem interpersonal problem with this guy and 
we broke off the engagement and just went on our, our way, but that is a really common occurrence in, in Mill Valley. And I see it all the time. I experience it all the time and drives me absolutely bananas. Uh, well, yeah. I don't think that's just to Mill Valley. I think that happens all over the place. And this entitlement that people feel that they have because they're, quote unquote, baby Jesus is, you know, their world and they can do whatever they want and look past the fact that somebody doesn't want their dog being run up like that. Uh, just a couple of things, a drivey dog, you know, high drive dogs are, I don't know, how would you, how would you describe a high drive dog just quickly to. So I look at, um, I, 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 I'm not a professional dog behavioralist in any way. I hang out with a lot of people who are, and I hang out with a lot of people with working dogs. And I, I would say that high drive dogs are dogs that exhibit, you know, exuberant and, and enthusiastic amounts of the kinds of behavior that they were bred for, uh, like prey drive, for example. And that can be, that can manifest in, you know, reactivity toward other smaller prey looking dogs or toys. Right. Right. Um, okay. That's good. That's a good definition because I have a high drive dog too. I have a hunting stock, uh, yellow lab, and it's taking me a lot to, you know, it's always easier to take the drive out of the dog than necessarily put the drive into the dog. You can stimulate and arouse any dog, but there's a, you know, there's a certain, certain type of drive that, that will cause problems when a fluffy Muppet comes running up to you, uh, your dog, who's can be a serious dog. I mean, there, there are these dogs out there that, you know, high drive working dogs, Schutzen dog from a very young age, they're, they're at that level. They, they, they have this idle level that's higher than most dogs and being a puppy, you know, even more so. So yeah, the entitlement that comes when people, especially when you, you know, it's kids and dogs. You, you say anything to, about kids and dogs, somebody's kids and dogs, and they, they immediately shut down and get defensive. It you mean in terms wrong. of letting, letting a dog approach a kid or letting a kid approach a dog, or what do you mean? Uh, well, when you criticize a child, somebody's child or their dog, immediately th- the whole dynamic changes. Right? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I misunderstood what you said. Uh, you know, unsolicited advice is never welcome. And um, so it's it's not you telling, asking somebody to to control their dog, leash their dog or whatever. You know, I wouldn't have a problem. I don't have a problem with somebody working a dog off leash if they can display that they have full control over the dog. And that goes, you know, so let's talk about rules and following the rules. Yeah, what are the rules? I, You know, I sent you something in, I emailed you something a little while ago and I just emailed it to myself and pulled it up. Can I read this? Yeah, go ahead. Really quick. This is a sign on a on a mystery trail somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it's got a picture of a dog, and it looks like it's Marin County Trail. And it says, it's okay, my dog is friendly. And then it says, no, no, it's not okay. Just because your dog is friendly doesn't mean other dogs are. Some may be nervous, reactive, fearful, in training, or owned by people who want to be left alone. Never let your dog run up to another dog. Respect others and their need for space. If you have no voice control over your dog, keep them on a leash. I love this sign. That I wish this great. sign was posted everywhere in Marin County. I was just thinking the same thing. No, not just Marin County, every place. <laughs> the entire uh, world yeah, should the, live by this credo <laughs> alone. That should be a <laughs> municipal sign that gets added to every uh, post. Yeah, and you know, having full control, having full true voice control of your dog takes a lot of work and 99% of the people out there who say they do don't. Um and again, they they're out in the world and they get they get upset. But it's like with kids, like with my young kids. I mean, we follow the rules to set an example for the rest of the community and for our children. There's an entrance to the school um, this is just a pet peeve of mine in school where it's it's exit only, but there's some parents that will go in that exit only driveway all the time. It's like, well, that small little rule, it just says, oh, these, this rule doesn't apply to me because there's nobody around to see that I'm breaking it. I now have really good control over my dog, and I let the dog off leash in a park that's not, it's a trail park, it's a regional park that Technically, you're supposed to have the dog on leash. My dog always drags a drag line, a six-foot leather drag line that, you know, technically he's on a leash, but he's not physically attached to me. I've just gotten to the point where there's, for the first, I don't know, nine months, the dog dragged a 30-foot long line. 
So he, so there is that there at, there is that space. Now, anytime I see somebody come to me, I'm the dog's coming around on a heel and will stay on that heel, and I'll even stop and step on the on the drag line and and have the dog sit until the other person passes, and then we'll continue on our walk. But I'm very hyper aware of that. But I'm not going to go to a park uh, where there are other people where it's a a, a leash only park and let them let them cruise because I want to set the example. I want to follow the rules, set the example. Uh, you want to, yeah, absolutely. You're setting the example. I think that um, you touch on a couple things that as a newer dog owner, I, I want to comment on number one, when I first got my dog, the off leash walk was the, well, that was the pie in the sky for me. That was the training that I wanted to do and the goal that I wanted to achieve. And I think that it's a trophy for a lot of people. People get a dog and they see themselves walking through the headlands or that's a bad example because you're not allowed to have dogs up there anymore, but uh, walking through the, um, the Camino Alto watershed, for example, where you are allowed to have dogs off leash and they want to have their adventure dog hike with their, with their amazing dog that runs all over the place and runs up into the chaparral and then back down again and is friendly and loves everybody and loves to play with all the other dogs. That's, that's the, the iron or the brass ring that everyone wants to grab. But I think that everyone skips all the work that you got to do in between puppy ownership and adventure dog walking, wings it and rolls the dice and assumes that 90% or 99% of the dogs that their dog runs up on are going to be friendly, non-reactive dogs. And further assumes that their dog is going to remain friendly and non-reactive 99% of the time when it gets run up on. But what people really don't have is solid recall. Nobody wants to take the time and I realize I'm speaking in generalizations. Uh, many people don't want to take the time to put the work in uh, to train really solid, 100% airtight recall so that when your dog sees the skunk or the coyote or the chihuahua uh, or, or the doodle or whatever and, and takes off after it, you can utter a word and it will stop. It'll abort that behavior immediately. And that is a really, really hard thing to train in, in any dog, let alone a really drivey working dog. Recall is, well, I've talked to a few canine officers and read about this, and recall is the one control command that is constantly being worked on because there's always going to be something that's going to att uh, attract the dog's attention and completely override all the nurturing and the training we put on that dog, whether it's a little furry mammal or little Billy with an ice cream cone in his hand or, you know, Betty Crocker, you know, walking funny down the street, whatever, you know, that's <laughs> Betty the Crocker thing. walking funny down the street. There's a, there's a visual with a that's, pie in her hand or something that's, like that's, that. Right? Yeah, it's an old deadhead visual right there. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it takes, everybody wants that Disney dog. You know, I want to walk down the street and walk into Pete's Coffee or whatever, and the dog is there with me. And it's almost like that narcissistic at, uh, angle of dog training where it's, look at me, look at me and my dog. I'm, you know, my dog is great and perfect, and I'm just fantastic. Well, that brings me to the, the next point I was going to make, which is that um, to put the work in, and do that, what, what people realize is that you may have a dog that will take to airtight, solid recall 100% of the time, and, and it may be, your dog may make it easy for you. You may have a dog that won't make it easy for you. What you need to do you need, is, is you need to follow my credo. Do you know what my credo is? No, what's that? let's hear it. My, my credo is you don't get the dog you want ever. You get the dog you get, and yep. you got to meet that dog wherever that dog needs to be met. And yep. sometimes that dog will meet you you know, 999% of the way to where you want to be. And sometimes you got to go 80% the other way to where the dog needs to be met. And who knows how far you're going to get the dog along that spectrum toward where you want to be. But that's the, that is the, the covenant of dog ownership is you got to meet your dog where they need to be met. Yes. 
and you meet them at that Met, and then you you mold and shape, you adjust, and you you move in that direction where you want to be. I have you know I I have this creative visualization thing that I use that I yes I see myself in the future being able to do this, so I'm going to work my way into that. Keep that in mind, and and one of the things that I tell people that I work with or that want to progress is, you know, the good canine citizen test, that title that you get, that's, that's my visualization for where I want to be with my dog. You know, I want to be able to trust my dog on these, these, uh, points you know and i'm not we don't have to get into the actual you know five or ten things that your dog has to prove during to get the title but it's a lot of downstay come wait being able to stand next to somebody for five minutes without being uh somebody else hold the dog on a leash without being reactive uh Mm -hmm. greetings and all those things yeah you get the dog that you get and you uh, we all have that di- uh, that fantasy about the Disney dog and what it means and what we're going to do with that dog. And, you know, it takes so much work. You know, people are always looking for shortcuts. But you know what? The shortcut is the actual work, is doing the work is the shortcut. It takes as long as it's going to be. Yeah. All right, let's move and, on. What? Go ahead. I think you got to. I think you have to recognize what your limitations are and what your dog's limitations are. It's you're not a failure of a dog owner if your dog doesn't take to airtight recall, right? right. Like this is everyone's on a on a spectrum of you know a training continuum. And if you have a, a training opportunity that you have to address, that's great. That's an opportunity, not a failure. You need to dog, meet your dog where it needs to be met, even if your dog isn't going to be a superstar agility dog or a superstar recaller or a superstar fetch dog. Everyone wants something more out of their dog sometimes than than their dog is able or willing to give. And you have to be able to recognize that and recognize your limitations as a handler and make moves to help progress your jaw, your dog through those hurdles and progress yourself through those those limitations as well and become a better handler. Well, yeah, and to wrap this up a little bit, you know, you just said, like, yeah, you don't, you get the dog you want, and maybe you don't have a dog that can go to a dog park. Right. Ever. <laughs> you know, ever. I mean, you, ever. You get the I, dog. I got one of those. You get the dog because you want to go out of the world, and you end up with a dog that, whether it's through your failure of training or it's just on the sound or whatever. And you might not ever be able to safely go to a dog park. I hate dog parks, quite frankly. But, I'm one of those uh, people. I, I yeah. espouse the belief that the dog park is probably the worst thing you can do for your relationship with your dog is yeah. to bring them to the dog park. It's It rarely becomes so, you know, dog park etiquette. You know, one of the things I was watching, it might have been Caesar Milan when I was doing some research on this and this show. And I just w- watched one of his, it's like, yeah, the biggest fail that people do is they don't exercise the dog before they bring it into the park. So <laughs> they're bringing this, you know, they're bringing this whole completely overstimulated and aroused dog. So when they open the park gate, it's a shotgun of fur coming into the park and he's stimulating his route. He's displaying and he's just, he's just shit starting. And then all that body posture he's displaying and the energy and stimulation that's exuding from him makes him a magnet for all the other dogs. So the other fighty bitey who's on the other side of this, the yard uh, sees this behavior and just, you know, comes over and displays. And, you know, thank God most people aren't, don't have their dogs on a leash because the whole tension in dog and dog greeting is dissipated by not having them on a leash, you know, that they can communicate naturally. Uh, and that's, you know, go back really quickly to the off trail, um, off leash trail stuff is yes, having those dogs meet one on one without having the influence of the owner. Because the owner throws so much energy onto those dog and dog greetings that uh, really can screw them up, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. Not using calming signals. I've talked about calming signals before on the show. But, you know, you know, just throwing our energy on, you know, us getting nervous that Fluffy's going to get bit by Fighty Bitey is enough to start that. One of the other things is, you know, you're out and about and being aware of other people's feelings. There are a lot of people out there who don't like dogs. To allow your dog to cross that line, that critical distance, is can be a real problem. Uh, it's not just like dog, it's being afraid of dogs, children, older people, um, all these things. So if you're not controlling your dog and 
introducing them in a way that's appropriate or even respecting what you see, you know, body posture of, you know, again, Betty Crocker on the walker coming down the street. And as soon as she sees you and your dog, she tightens up to recognize that also to be outside of your your little bubble and to be aware of what's going on around you and your impact on the public when you're out there it's it's a big thing totally agree totally agree you know whether it's allowing your dog to bark at somebody on the street i mean that's the worst thing barking in general i mean there's a whole list of etiquette things about barking nuisance barking in the backyard barking in the car barking at your dog barking through a window or out the window at at somebody walking down the street what are your feelings on alert barking alarm barking like when someone knocks on your door your dog starts to bark i have i've got a big doorbell barker well yeah just tell me what you're okay so barking yeah barking is great but you got to teach him when to shut up (laughs) right you can make any behavior acceptable by giving it an off switch because when you do give it uh you do make it a command or you do train it to do something then you have an off switch right so when you give the little hand signal to bark or you know, speak, you know, it's so cute. It's like, oh, look, if I, I can make my dog say hello. <laughs> Once you say, okay, enough, then the dog has to stop. Yeah, alert barking's great. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it. So that drives me crazy. I mean, that's life with a small dog, but, uh, you know, and then then you have your dog who's cannon barking at the front door, and, oh, my God, you're sending the living, the person who's on the other side of the door is like, oh, my God, Cujo's going to come screaming through that door and attack me. I got to be honest with you. As someone who's had his house broken into a couple times, I don't mind that. <laughs> I, like, I like that my dog puts on a big, nasty, frightening display when someone comes knocking at the door. Yeah, but yeah, we did have to do a lot of training and still are still working on it around around a place bed. And when someone rings the doorbell and or knocks on the door and she goes bananas, uh, when we send her to her place, that means, okay, I got this. Thank you very much for alerting me to the problem. Now shut up and sit there until whoever is in is coming in comes into the house and then I'll release you to go say hi. So yeah, that's that's the off switch right there, right? I mean, that's place. Place is a great command. We do it. Go to your place means go to your bed and hang out. Easy, simple command to do because every time you feed the dog dinner or breakfast or lunch, you say go to your place and when it goes over there, you start feeding it. And it's just simple. It works beautifully. But the adrenaline zone around the front door, because uh, nobody wants to come into their house, some of their friend's house and get jumped on. I mean, that's way, that's a big etiquette. And what happens is people don't want to correct their dog when the, when their friends come over. So maybe this strikes me, we should come up with Stephen and Gardner's or Gardner and Stevens, you know, top 10 manners for dogs. Oh, that's easy. Okay. What's your number one? I got 20. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I, you know, we have to give you an off switch. All right. Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, that's the thing. I can give. I talk so much that I give too much information, and it gets it becomes diluted, and people don't. Uh, I don't know. Let, um, yeah. Now I got you stumped, right? You just. You well, just yeah. Now, I, yeah. Thanks a lot for bringing the show to a screeching halt. <laughs> jumping up is a big thing. It, you know, just no no particular order. Jumping up. And I'm going to do a whole show on for a friend of mine who's got a he's got a, a dog that uh, she adopted almost a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. And the dog is starting; they've passed that honeymoon period, and the dog is starting to become more dominant and express itself and start to make decisions. One of the decisions it's being allowed to make is to jump up on people, and yep. she's got a real problem with that. Uh, nobody wants to be jumped up on. No, you know whether it's almost ever, right? Right. And, and again, I, I teach every dog I work with or to, to jump up on command. I teach exactly. them to jump up onto me so I can give them a hug. You know, whether that's part of the narcissistic, look at me, I'm hugging my dog. Whoa, whoa, isn't that cute? Well, yeah, again. And what that does is it gives meaning to the moment when you say to your dog, don't do that. Yes. So if your dog jumps up uninvited, then you can say to them, what are you doing? Get off. Right. And because they're, you know, now you could say that they're offering a behavior that you've, you've trained them to do. And that, you know, part of the, part of the, the manners issue is to 
teach the dog appropriate context to know, you know, in this situation, it's not okay. You're, you can't jump up on a, on a stranger unless they invite you to jump up on them. And, you know, I'll give that stranger the command if I want them to, right. to invite you. It's just, and you know, what's going to happen also, what you see here a lot is, oh my God, I can't believe, I'm so sorry, my dog jumped on you. And and what you hear is, oh, it's okay, it just wants mm-hmm. to say hello. So they're they're forgiving you, but on the inside, they're going, oh, crap. You know, this dog just put uh, paw prints on my nice new skirt or what? Well, and guaranteed, whoever's getting jumped up on is has their hand on the dog's head and is giving them a scratch and smiling Instead of giving that dog a flick on the snoot or a knee in the chest right. to say basically no, no, you're not supposed to be here. The owner is in the owner slash handler is uncomfortable. They're embarrassed and but they don't want to correct the dog's behavior or whatever you do to you know, whatever you what you whatever you decide to do to stop that behavior. It's and so you're unwittingly training the dog to do. Yeah. Right. That's uh, that kind of thing is dominance. Dominance is the dog making decisions and being successful in making that decision. So you're allowing it to happen. It's the same thing with the door, the front door, the uh, adrenaline zone around the front door. You know, uh, it's like, uh, oh, my God. Hi. So good to see you. Oh, Judy. Hi. Hey, there's Uncle Bob. And, the, you know, it's like this whole thing. Everybody's stimulated arousal. And there's there's Rover. You know, doing spins and trying to get right. people's attention. It's like, it's just shaking with stimulation and no one's correcting it or no one's saying. So my thing is just take the dog completely out of the picture. Put it in a crate. If you know you have people coming over, put the, confine the dog. Yeah. However, whatever's that, because it just takes all the emotion out of it, all the stress. You don't have to apologize because Fluffy knocks the pie out of Betty Crocker's hand as she walks through the front door. You know, Which that brings up. Which brings up the next the next of the top ten, which is counter surfing. That's that's the one I'm going to give. Oh yeah, I have an example too. Well, my my dog, my wonderful, perfect, amazing Disney dog, <laughs> um, just uh, about a month ago, uh, helped herself to two beautiful raw marinating salmon steaks that were on the uh, on the island. I I like to quote who's the guy that started the serious serious dog training schools. Oh yeah, I. I I haven't thought about him a long time, but yes. I, I okay, know so the, the producers are going to have to edit in the, the name of this guy. Right. <laughs> but anyway. I'll put it in the description in, below. In one of his videos, uh, he says, if you uh, catch your dog having an accident in the house, use the rolled up newspaper method. John Connor. No, no, that's not John. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Rolled up newspaper. The rolled wow. up newspaper method, which is which is you roll up a newspaper and begin to beat yourself over the head with it and yell, I forgot to watch the dog. I forgot to watch the dog. I forgot to watch the dog. <laughs> yes. Uh, so dogs are opportunistic omnivores, and a dog that forages in the kitchen successfully and snags the two salmon steaks is just doing what that dog evolved to do. Teaching manners around that is extremely important. I, I know that there are a lot of people out there that are purely positive dog trainers. I am not one of them, uh, especially once dogs are, are grown up uh, past puppy age. In my opinion, the consequence, if your dog has been successful counter surfing at some point, um, then the consequence has to be greater in magnitude than the reward. Yeah. So, so the negative, the negativity of the consequence has to be worse than the positivity of the reward. And when you're talking about a raw salmon steak for a raw fed German shepherd like mine, that consequence has to be pretty harsh in order for the dog not to just look at you and say, totally worth it. (laughs) And then do it again next time. Ian Dunbar is the guy from Ian Dunbar. Yeah. Yeah. Counter surfing, uh, stealing food off the table. I mean, that's a huge thing. That's a major dominance issue because they are going for the food. They're going for the good stuff. And as a subordinate pack member, they're trying to, they're, you know, that's the core issue is they're going for the, for the nice piece of elk or moose that's sitting on the, you know, whatever. <laughs> My thing is you've got people over your house, the dog, comes barreling into the living room and goes up to the coffee table and starts munching on the hors d'oeuvres, you know, or you're at somebody's house, (laughs) you're, you're at somebody's house and and their dog comes and grabs your, 
food. Uh, it's just, you know, again, you're going to go, oh, it's okay. But inside you're like, oh, my God, what a jerk. I can't believe they're allowing their dog to do this. Yeah, that's 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 obnoxious. You know, you touch on uh, training methods. It doesn't matter what you use as long as you're going to get results. Okay, you know, I use a balanced approach, you know, it, and I'm sure you do too. It's positive, it's correction, it's management, all these things you kind of have to use. Because if you don't have a positive relationship with your dog, you don't have a, a relationship. But having that relationship does being bowled over by the dog's dominance and its drive and its jerkiness, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, talking about bringing the show to a screeching halt, I, I thought of something you were saying when while you were saying that, and then it just flew out of my head. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say is that you can edit out those last 45 seconds. <laughs> uh, this goes back to getting the dog that you get, not the dog that you want. Uh, and the amount of pressure that your dog requires for corrections, for example, can be really variable. Mm-hmm. You know, some dogs are super soft, snowflakey dogs, and just the slightest little leash pop on the nylon choke collar is enough yep. to to get that dog's attention and make them realize, oh, I'm I, I crossed a line, I'm out of bounds, I was over threshold for a second, and I you know I, I lost control. Whereas my dog requires a ton of pressure. Nothing gets to her. She doesn't get hurt. She could run through a plate glass window and yep. not notice it. Yep. And that's that's drive, right? Yep. Um, again. I meet my dog where she needs to be met. And so I use a balanced approach. Uh, I'm not afraid to impart um, pretty stiff corrections for, for big infractions because she won't notice the correction if, if it's not of a certain you know, baseline level. This is how it was described to me. Your, your correction has to be just motivational enough to stop the dog from doing what it's doing. That's a great description. Right. Your first correction should be your most, most motivational. So you don't have to go, no, 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 no. It's no, right away, boom, clear communication. You're stopping the behavior. And then when it stops and whatever, and remember, you don't don't praise a correction, right? You let the correction stand. Uh, You find a way to turn it around. Well, I think you bear in mind that that 30 seconds later, the dog has moved on. And then yep. you can get then you can get as positive as you want and, yeah. and playful and cute and flirty and whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the moment, as, well, as soon as that dog moves on and starts displaying behavior you want it to do, that's when you nail it with food, nail it with your love, nail it with the uh, something it wants. Yeah, there's some dogs that are not motivated by fruit food, and some dogs they just go into that zone where everything gets blanked out except for what is what what their intent is or what they're what they're focused in on. We talked about barking, retractable leash handling. The retractable Interesting. Leash, I wonder if we're going to agree about this. Okay, go ahead. There are There's a minuscule portion of the time and place for a retractable leash. <laughs> but, but 99% of the time, they are the worst thing you can ever put on your dog. Okay, say more, say more things. Say more? Say more things, yeah. Why? The, well, the retractable leash allows the dog to get so far away from you that it, you can't have real control over it. So when the dog is 20 feet at the end of the retractable, it's it's almost impossible to, one, bring it back if it's uh, completely focused and, and driving towards something, foraging through something. Um, and the nylon cord that most of them are attached to with a small wire, that it'll cut your hand. You know, it's very hard to get the dog back and you know it's like fishing you know when you fish you bring the rod back and then you really really you bring it back and you and then so one and the other thing is if you drop if you've got a dog that's kind of flighty and uh fiery uh got some fear in it and you drop the the retractable behind it and it starts running it, that retractable leash is behind it making noise and all this thing it can drive your dog to be even more fearful and panic even more so and that can um you can go online and look at pictures of retractable uh leash accidents with people's hands just getting cut up and it's it's mm. not good but I'm gonna- what well one of my one of my triggers is when you hear that 
(laughs) (laughs) They're trying to stop the dog, but the dog is like going through those ratchets. And, you you know, you know that sound. It's and uh, you just know, oh, my God, uh, they have no control over the dog. The dog's charging and they're trying to stop it. And, you know, it's like a big marlin on the end of a fishing pole. And not in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what. There, you know, there are retractable leashes that have nylon webbing. It's not a uh, cord. It's not a piece of fishing line that you have to grab onto. There are, they are, but they're big. They're massive. I mean, the the actual hardware of the handle and stuff, it's big. I mean, it's big and heavy, but there are, you know, there are times. So, all right, I'll let you talk now. Well, no, that was, I, I don't fully disagree with you. In fact, in the beginning, I fully espoused the no retractable leashes philosophy. Uh, and I, you mentioned long line before I love, I still walk my dog on a long line. I, I walk my dog on leash almost all the time. Cause she uh, is actually quite dog reactive, especially to uh, dogs that she's not familiar with. Uh, she's got some, some dog fear and some fear-based aggression that comes out. So I don't, I, I manage my dog actually very conservatively cause I don't want anything happening. I love working with a long line and have done for a long time. I think it's great. I love the exercises that you can engage in teaching recall with a long line mm-hmm. um, yep. with two handlers and a long line, yep. for example. Uh, and all this stuff is easily found on, on YouTube. Now that my dog is three and a half and uh, really settling into herself and has a, quite an extensive catalog of trained behaviors and is really maturing I've made some changes to what my expectations are of her when we're walking. So I do a lot of really high level obedience training with my dog. When we're on the field and we're getting ready to trial, for example, then my expectations of her when we're walking are very different than what my expectations are when we're just walking through the neighborhood. Of course. Uh, Walking through the neighborhood, my expectations are safety first, um, attentiveness so you you know you better be offering me attention throughout the majority of the walk. Mm-hmm. If I let you go to go smell things and just root around and have fun, that's cool. But if I tell you stop, you need to pay attention to me again. Right. And I'm not as focused on slack line healing right at my side while we're walking through the neighborhood. Like I recognize that if I'm if I'm not training my dog and doing really high level healing stuff, uh, we're just walking through the neighborhood. I'm not really giving, I'm not offering my dog much by doing that, right? She's a, she's a working line dog. She really, she needs to work. So if we're just out on a neighborhood walk, my part of the equation is, is not great. I'm not bringing a lot to the table with my dog unless I'm working her during that walk. Therefore, I may have to make an agreement with myself. Well, if she wants to go off and sniff in the bushes, that's cool because that's, you know, I'm not offering much to compete with that. If that's okay with me, that's fine. But then I have to alter what my expectations are as far as leash manners. And that's where retractable leashes come in for me. I don't use one now, but I would, I would use the kind that you're referring to the, the more hardy uh, one with the webbing, not with a, with a cable. I would do it. um, You know, it's, it's sort of like personal relationships. You can't change anyone's behavior, right? Adult to adult. What you can do though, is you can alter your expectations of that person. And then you'll never be disappointed if your expectations are reasonable. If your expectations are reasonable around how your dog's going to behave when you're on a neighborhood walk and you're not working your dog, you're not training, you're not actually, you're, you know, you don't have really high level expectations of them as far as offered attention and form and, and muscle memory and all that kind of stuff. Then I'm okay with using a retractable leash if it's a good piece of equipment and I know how to use it. And my dog's got a solid obedience background so that if she gets into trouble, I can shut it down right away and get her back to me. Well, yes. And that's right. You're in that top like 2% of people who should be able to use a detract, a detractable leash. Yes. But everyone should be like me, Gardner. Everyone should be like me. (laughs) We all, we we aspire to that discipline (laughs) of uh, Stephen Younger. Well, Uh, I, you know what I, what I, what I do think along those lines is I think that everyone should make an agreement with themselves when they get a dog that they're going to become a better dog handler than they were yesterday. Every day you're going to become a better dog handler than you were yesterday. It's a, it's a lifetime commitment and a lifetime journey. And it's really what you owe to your dog when you get them. Even if your dog is a super low maintenance dog, you can still do that. Okay. So 
I got a visualization of you walking your dog on a, on a retractable leash, walking around the neighborhood. What's your thought on allowing your dogs to pee and poop on somebody's property? I'm lucky and unlucky at the same time. Um, I trained my dog to potty in our front yard. We started with a piece of sod that was laid down in a frame of two by fours. Mm -hmm. And so she really got very good at, at being specific about where she potties. However, she doesn't like to potty anywhere off of our property. So it can take her a while on a road trip um, to get used to it. She actually speaking of maturity now that she's almost three and a half, uh, things are a lot better. So there is light at the end of that tunnel for anyone else that has that issue. Uh, my feeling is that you should not let your dog potty on anyone else's property. When they pee on the, on the grass, they can burn out the grass in that spot. And that yeah. drives homeowners crazy. And you know, your dog's not going to have a perfectly formed pickable, kickable poop every time they squat on the neighbor's lawn. And you're not going to be able to pick it up and eliminate all the evidence. Right. Plus it's gross. And maybe that neighbor is not a dog owner and maybe they don't want any dogs pooping on their property and it's not your property to begin with. So you shouldn't allow your dog onto it without permission. Yes. I, by feeling exactly, you, you always let the dog do that first. And this is the way I do it. Uh, first initial elimination should be on your property. Absolutely. Always have a bag with you. Yes. The dog, there's going to be times when the dog's going to poop or pee, uh, but yes, the loose, loose, uh, loose stool on a, somebody's nice lawn, um, that or, is a huge infraction. Or God forbid, the fake grass, um, which I don't know, maybe it's better because you can really hose it down. But we actually, that's we changed our front lawn into a turf lawn, and that plus a whizzy wash, man, that's like the best thing ever. Yeah, as far as dog there was, uh, there was a whole string of uh, there was somebody here on in our town that their bush they lived on a corner, so they were becoming livid because they could not get this bush to live because everybody it became the marking zone for every dog in the neighborhood part of me is like yeah that's not good canine citizenship but it's also like look you're on a corner property don't put the azalea or gardenia bush right on the corner there and expect i think you got to choose a nitrogen loving plant right yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah i i don't let to, and the walk around should not be about marking the marking, that's a whole nother thing. The walk is about spending time together and getting exercise. It's not allow, allowing the dog to leave its calling card every 20 feet because that's that's not fun. So, yeah. yeah again, it goes back to what, you know, know your know your dog, know yourself, and, and set your expectations about your walk. And if you don't want your dog marking and sniffing every 20 feet, then you got to be working your dog while you're walking. Yeah. It's, you can't be on your cell phone. Nope. You can't no. be, you know, you, you can't be working out a problem that you're trying to mull over. It's you're out there spending time with your dog. You know what, what you pay into the relationship in terms of engagement, you will get back out from your dog in terms of engagement, but well, you can't expect that engagement if you're not putting the time. In. Well, right. And that's one of my talking points. And that's one of my pet peeves is being in the, let's, I see this going a lot, a lot when I'm, I'm just driving by the dog park. I see, Somebody in the dog park on their phone and the dog is just out there instead of, and that's what it becomes. It becomes this coffee clutch and this, this human interaction and the dogs are just doing, you know, it's fun maybe for the dogs, but you're not spending that one-on-one time that means something to the dog. You're teaching your dog that it's more fun to hang out with other dogs than it is to hang out with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, socialization and that kind of thing. Yeah, th- you know, you can have dog friends and you can have those relationships with the other dogs. But for me, playing in a big toilet, looking at my phone and not engaging with my dog, it's, it's just not what I want. Being, being engaged with your dog is crucial and you can't do that looking and cruising Facebook and texting Barbie about, or Ken for that matter, um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's going on, you know, uh, and when, even with, when my you know, dog was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry, well, sorry. Uh, you know, even going down the, you know, you got your Bluetooth in and you're talking to your mom or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there are times when you're going to need to talk on the phone and walking your dog, but for the most part, when you're having that engagement, you want to have that communication and it's unverbal. It's, it's not baby talking. Oh, that's the other, well, that's a pet peeve is baby talking to your dog. It's just, <laughs> I just want to, poke my ears out when I hear somebody do that. Well, I want to go back to what you said about uh, dog friends for just a second. Yeah, go ahead. Um, And I want to distinguish between socialization, which is not 
introducing your dog to other dogs. That's that that's social time for your dog, but that yeah. is not the process of socialization. Right. Um, and I'll just I'd encourage anyone to go and and read uh, either Dunbar or even you know I know a lot of people hate this book now, but Monks of Newskeet uh, or or any other, you know, dog training book, both ends of the leash, for example, about what the socialization period is and what socialization is for your puppy. Cause that's different mm-hmm. than social time. Yep. Uh, but when, when my dog was a puppy, uh, we worked with a really great dog trainer who I'm going to plug because she's cool. Her name is Katie Rogers and uh, Katie's critter, Katie's critters is the name of her dog training business. Um, and she taught us a really cool way to look at dog encounters uh, dog dog encounters, which is uh, we divide dogs into three different categories, strangers and strangers you're expected to be neutral around. So if we're walking by a dog who's a stranger, my dog should be looking at me or looking straight ahead, but not lit up on that dog and not interested in saying hi, because we don't know that dog and that's not why we're here. Right. Um, then there's acquaintances. These are dogs that you see on a regular basis, don't necessarily play with but maybe you pass them every single day on your walk and therefore you got to be well behaved around this dog. So we're going to, we're going to pass this dog. We're going to touch noses and move on. And, and that's fine. Uh, And then there's friends and friends are dogs that you, that you like, that you love, that you can be trusted around that you trust and you can do whatever you want with your friends, but you got to be really careful and deliberate about cultivating those relationships with other dogs so that, you don't blur those lines because, you know, God forbid you treat an acquaintance like a friend and those dogs actually wind up not getting along so well and somebody gets hurt because you really didn't take time to build that relationship. Right. First. Yes. The way I look and talk about socialization, socialization is not with dogs, is not letting the dog go and figuring it out for himself. Sure. Right. We're guiding and shaping just as you said, you've got those three categories. You're, and that's real etiquette. That's the etiquette. That's that's very important etiquette about its interaction and its socialization with other dogs. Great point. Katie Rogers. Katie Rogers. All right. Yeah. Dog and dog greeting. There's a couple ways to do it. It's like, well, what's what's the proper way? Well, you ask the person whether you want to meet. You know, I, I ask people, oh, you want to do a greeting? And I look for them, whether it's a yes or no or even a hesitancy. You know, I don't want to, you know, if they're like, uh, okay. And it's like, oh my God, now they start praying that everything's going to work. And you're, and then, and there's nothing wrong with saying, well, okay. Oh, you know what? I got to go make a phone call or you say whatever you need to do. There's nothing wrong with saying no. Yeah. No, there is. How many times a day do I, you know, am I at the park walking my dog or training my dog and someone comes up with their dog and says, can we say hi? Yeah. And the answer is nope. Thanks. No, thanks. We're working right now. We're training or just, or, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know what? My dog's really dog reactive. It's not a good idea. Yeah. A lot of people don't like hearing say no. And it goes back to the whole dog park with your, you know, exercising the golden doodle and you working with your dog and off leash. No, people, you know, they get offended because you don't want to do it and you can't worry. You can't get hung up on that. I can't, I can't tell you how many times we've been run up on by off leash dogs with bad recall. And when I've said something to the owner, like, could you please recall your dog or we're working here and I'm, I'm trying to work my dog without other dogs around uh, or at least in our space, uh, you know, the response is always, well, this is our community dog park. Well, no, it's not. No. <laughs> this is a baseball diamond. There's a law that says you have to have your dog on a leash, actually. And if you want to go to the dog park and ruin your dog, go to the dog park and ruin yeah. your dog. But yeah. don't do it here and don't get offended if someone actually tries to set a, an appropriate boundary. And that's also is like, well, I'm too lazy to go somewhere else with my dog where I'm allowed to. So I'm going to go here and hope that everything is okay. And hope that everything is okay. That is the key. Yeah. Phrase. Back to like a little bit of that socialization point you were making is like, you know, one of the things about etiquette is don't force your dog to go say hello to somebody. Because already, if you're picking up the vibe that it doesn't want to say hello, then why put a fearful dog into a position where it can fail? fearful dog or a dog that's that's uncomfortable is much more likely to nip or protect itself a fearful dog is more likely to bite than any other dog um it happens quick you know one two three poop 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 and it happens without growling and without you know without hackles sometimes it happens out of nowhere yeah and that's that's that's, still waters run deep yes and so yeah forcing it's like with kids i never force my kids to ever give somebody a hug you know you hear oh go give 
Judy a hug or, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It, 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 there's an uncomfortable thing about it. And so forcing your dog, because, you know, who knows, that person might not want to say hello. So what else we got here? Um, I don't know. This has been great. I've, I feel like this has been cathartic. Yeah. I've vented, <laughs> vented about all my neighborhood dog Well, right. You mentioned sport. something that I wanted to bring up. I think a really uh, cool training point to introduce into your dog's life is uh, is the conditional walk or the conditional training session. And the condition is you got to potty first mm-hmm. before we do that. Mm-hmm. So when we go out, um, I do a lot of training instead of walks. Um, you know, as a working dog, my dog uh, really needs to think more than she needs to exercise. Yes. Um, she's, she was born a super athlete. She's going to be a super athlete for the next seven years. Um, but what she really needs is to figure things out and solve problems. And so, uh, rather than walk a lot of the times we'll go train instead. Yep. And, um, parenthetically she'll sleep way better after that than she will after a walk where she learns nothing. Um, but when we go out to train, uh, the first thing we do and I have her toys in my hand and I have an apron on with traits in it and whatever is we get out onto the lawn and I look at her and I say, go potty. And she'll walk around a little bit and then look back at me like, okay, let's play. And I'll say, no, go potty. And we'll go back and forth three, four, five times before she'll do it. And even if I know she just peed, you know, half an hour ago or three hours ago, my dog's got an iron bladder. uh, If we're out to train, you're going to potty first or we're not going to train. And if we have to, I'll say, okay, fine, never mind, and we go inside. Yep. And I'll wait 10 minutes, and then we'll go outside again, we'll do it again. And now she knows that she has to potty before we, we train or before we walk. Uh, and it's great because it, you know, it eliminates a lot of the, of the poop issues that you get out in the, in the neighborhood. Dogs always have a reserve of urine. Okay, let's just remember that. You know, they've always got something in the tank to mark or to whatever. Uh, so, uh, and it only takes making them hold on to it a little longer than they want to. You know, once they're potty trained in the house, one time before they realize, okay, fine. Next time I get the opportunity yeah. to pee, <laughs> I'm going to pee. Well, yeah, uh, people have this thing about, oh, I, you know, I have to bring it to the dog park to exercise. I have to be able to have it off leash to exercise. No, a walk, a fast, brisk walk around your neighborhood is great. When you exercise the mind and the muscle, you are really exercising the whole dog. So when you're making the dog think, you know, we, I call them doggy push-ups. Come, down, sit, over, stay, wait, come, you know, over and over and over again. You know, mixed in with get the ball, do this, find the ball, a little hide and seek. Just to motivate the dog's mind is just very efficient. And you can, you can tire out almost any dog in 20 minutes if you do it properly if you make um, them think yeah. and if you're if you're if you've you know if you hit writer's block or trainer's block and you don't have another trick to teach then take all your old tricks and change them around add a different command mm-hmm. change change the command so you know change it into another language and you know it's easy to do that by stating the new command and then immediately the old command and the dog does the behavior and if you precede the sit with the the command in in you know Japanese, yeah, uh, it'll take ten reps before the dog starts to recognize that the Japanese word now means sit. Yes. Uh, another thing that you can do to exercise the mind is teach duration. Mm-hmm. So yeah, your dog can down, but how long can your dog down? Right. And what so kind of distractions it, can you put in your dog to uh, right. to maintain the down? So just up the ante and and increase the complexity. Uh, can your dog down when you're ten feet away? Can your dog down when you're 20 feet away? Uh, And how many positional changes can you make your dog do without your dog coming to you? This is something we're working on now and we're doing terribly, but I'm really working on it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, you know, that's it. There is no time limit. It just takes as long as it's going to take and consistency, which is something that people forget, but consistency is the key to any of this. I'm teaching the new trick we're teaching is play dead. You know, shoot the dog, bang, and the dog goes over and plays dead. That's the one. Oh, we got you beat. I can't, I can't believe we actually beat you to that one. That's great. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we're, we're working on that. We've talked a lot. Yeah, we could probably stop. Dogs in restaurants, you know, that's the one. Let's just wrap it up with one that drives me freaking crazy. I don't mind dogs in the restaurants. That's fine. As long as they're under the table and you don't even see them, you don't hear them. They're just there quiet. 
But it's, when I see the people bring the dog up into the lap and start feeding them off the table, oh, letting oh. them lick water out of your water glass, I just I just rage watches over <laughs> me. <laughs> and have I, have, I have gone up or, or let the dog on a leash and then it's walking around like a tripwire. Right. It's, you know, people are having to walk around. The dog's coming out to sniff every single person. And, you know, I. Well, I maybe have. we can relate that back to, to formal training. You know, if you're going to bring your dog to a restaurant, your dog really needs to have a good place command. Yeah. And uh, you can even bring a beach towel mm-hmm. and drop that beach towel down on the ground underneath the table. And that's where your dog has to sit. Um, you, hold on a second. My dog just stole something from me that she's not allowed to have. Uh-oh. Hey, bring it. Now. What is it? I don't even want to talk about it. I'm so embarrassed. Hold oh, on. Come I'll on. Right See, these, the, these are the times that, you know, you have to stop. See, this is great. This is a, this is a good teaching moment. Well, I was just uh, saying that. Well, you, I, was, I was just saying that. It's like, these are the times. He's had to stop what we're doing to go. He's taking the steps to correct the dog or stop the dog, or interrupt the dog when it's doing it. doesn't matter what's going around you. You've, and that's, that's what makes you a good handler and a dog owner, is that you just did that. It's a great example right there. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so back to what I was saying, bring a beach towel to the restaurant, teach your dog a place command, and you know, place, the place command needs to be really um, unwavering. When the, when the dog is in the place, and it depends on how you want to train it, but in our house, if she goes to her platform bed, she can do anything she wants on that bed. Mm-hmm. Sit, stand, roll over, you know, chew a bone. I don't care, but she can't get off of it until I release her from it. Yes. Um, and so if you can then move that out into the world and teach that in small doses at first, little teeny pieces um, in the restaurant, then you've got a dog that's not going to dart out from under the table or drag the leash around or get up on your chair once you're in the restaurant. And like um, with the downstay is very relatable to the recall because there's always going to be something that's going to distract the dog and tempt the dog to leave the down. And remember, you release the dog from the command, right? The, do- the command isn't over until you release it. When the dog, again, it's a dominant thing. The dog is making the decision to break the command. He's being successful in that decision. That's dominance. So, to get that dog to be bomb-proof on those issues. You know, I want restaurants to have tie-downs or tie-outs, whatever you want to call them. You know, a little short, short two-proof tether that attaches to the dog, and it can't move. Like the kind you see at the dog-washing place in, yes, in like exactly, Pet Express. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good idea. And but you have to, then you have to train your dog and proof them around tie-outs, too. And that's something that every dog should be... Yeah, yeah, and I would be interested to see. I think it would be natural because once they feel that static, you know, there's no give to the leash, they they relax, right? Uh, They they realize that they're they're not going to be able to make that decision to go forward, or and that that takes the pressure off them. But yeah, I mean, it it would be. uh, I think maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I'll talk to my friend who owns a restaurant maybe see about putting some in to see what how that would go over but that might be an interesting experiment i'm not sure every dog would take well to that without training and that's probably an issue good that you brought this up as our last topic because this morning i was on everyone's favorite local social media app next door and there was the command there was the complaint from some dude in mill valley about some restaurant which shall remain nameless in mill valley which has a, a front patio and also has a patio in, in the, you have to go through the restaurant to get to it. And this particular person was complaining that the restaurant didn't allow dogs on that inner patio, hmm. but only on the outer and in, in the one in the front. The only thing I could think was good on that restaurant for establishing some proper and appropriate boundaries and, and preventing a situation where people are walking their dogs through a restaurant into an enclosed space. Where dogs are, I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. You get more than one dog there. You get a dog that's partially reactive and gets, you know, what what is called over threshold. And now you've got dogs in an outdoor but enclosed space in the middle of a restaurant reacting to each other in a negative way. And that's just a really bad idea. And it doesn't matter how friendly you think your dog is. It's just not, you're not setting yourself up for success by putting your dog in that situation. 
No, I, absolutely. And the whole, you know, the emotional service or, you know, emotional. Um, oh, the ESA. Support, Don't get me started. Yeah, you know, now it's changed, but it was oh, your apartment and your airline flight was the only place you were legally allowed to really enforce the uh, emotional support animal thing that the airlines finally had to put their foot down because some fool brought a peacock and a pig on. And, you know, even then, well, let's, let's also distinguish. It's important to say that there's a big difference between a service animal Oh yeah, emotional. Oh, absolutely. We've done, we've talked about this on the show uh, more than a few times. Uh, but the entitlement that somebody feels that they can't bring their dog into that part of the restaurant, and then it puts the onus on the poor service provider who has to isn't really in charge, but still has to make that 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 initial conflict, and then maybe have to call the manager in, and then while Mister Wonderful has his Disney dog or what he thinks is his Disney dog is getting upset because he's being said no to. I want to thank you so much, Steve. This has been great. I, uh, you have a way of bringing out all the good things in me about <laughs> expressing my awful opinions. Uh, but well, it's, it's important pleasure, subjects, huh? and it's something to think about. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're always learning things about what's appropriate and what's not. And, you know, there's etiquette. There are things to be said about the rules that our parents had to follow and put onto us that aren't necessarily, you know, what we have to follow but we do follow them because mom said we had to but there's this evolving thing um, of etiquette and what's acceptable and what's become acceptable and what shouldn't be acceptable and that's you know if we can make people think about that even better um, I, th- I think we've slid into it into an unfortunate place with dog ownership uh, in the Bay Area especially and uh, you know I think people don't realize what should be expected of them and what they should expect of themselves in terms of keeping everybody safe yep. and happy and uh, and really setting your dogs up for success. Yeah. But thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed talking. About well, it. hopefully you'll be able to come and join us again uh, and, you know, talk about lots of different things because we're talking dog, T-A-L-K-I-N-D-O-G. Uh, check out previous shows. Uh, thanks for listening. And thank you again, Stephen. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you.